When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host for today for this interview, Laura Goldberg. You might also know me from vittlesvamp.com, the food blog. I am very excited today to introduce everyone uh, who is listening today to Susan Gravely. And she is the founder, and I'm going to try and get the name uh, correctly, of Vietri which is actually one of, no, it actually is, I should correct myself before it even comes out of my mouth, the biggest uh, ceramic importer from Italy in the U.S. And she is a, a known expert in hospitality. And she has a new book called Italy on a Plate. Welcome, Susan. I'm really glad to have you here. Laura, I am so glad to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And, and you know, before we, we got on the, the actual interview, we were talking about the fact that I was just in Italy and we were sharing all sorts of wonderful stories about what we love about being in Italy. But before we go there, I, I need to ask you, because obviously this is the New Books Network, what made you decide to write this book? Because, I mean, obviously you've got a very successful business. What made you suddenly stop in your tracks and say, you know, now I need to write a, a book? <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Well, you know, I'd written five children's books, small children's books based around a dinnerware pattern that we do called Old St. Nick. And he's an Italian Old St. Nick. And a lot of the morals of the story are based around Italian thoughts and the world and our world. So I was comfortable with the process, but this was really different. This year is our 40th anniversary, 40 years of doing this. You're business. Uh, uh, yeah, 40 years of VHE business. And I um, had been asked many times to write either a business book, uh, a, a women entrepreneurial book, but also about our story and about food, of course, because you and I know that Italy is Italy, and one of the main parts of Italy is being around a table, the metaphor of being together, 
um, enjoying each other, whether it's walking down the streets of, of Via Condotti in, in Rome or uh, being around a table and eating. So I started thinking about it and I thought, well, this is the perfect year to do it. And that was the beginning. And what, you know, obviously there are so many components in writing a book. It's not just right. down in front of the computer and writing. Was there anything during the process that really surprised you um, in a good way or a bad way? Well, my part, of course, was creating the outline of of the people or places that had influenced me the most during these 40 years and influenced me creatively, learning about how to run a business uh, that were so culturally entwined into their world that that was also exciting for me. So that was the first, and there were lots and lots of options. Um, The writing just was easier than I ever dreamed it would be because it brought back so many fun memories and and funny or sad or happy or challenging opportunities throughout these years. Uh, The part that was amazing of putting a book together was going and taking photographs at people's homes, getting a real feel for them, and then enjoying talking about their family recipes and bringing those into each chapter. So, um, I didn't have anything um, really hard. The the biggest difficulty was choosing the stories, choosing the memories, and cutting it down. Okay, well, interesting you say that because um, in reading the book, and I, I just want to say to listeners, in many ways, this book is about the story of, of the creation of, of your company. Um, and the people that have played a key role. I mean, it, it's it's you know it, it is a cookbook as well, but it's 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 many things. And there is one character that you mentioned from the very beginning, and I would love you to tell listeners a bit about him. But he doesn't have any recipes in the book. Uh, Fabio Puccinelli. Fabio Puccinelli. Fabio was a miracle, as there were many of those uh, during these years. But when we uh, how the tr- the first trip came when we started thinking about um, starting a company uh, and, and was that the listeners who the we is. We is my mother, Lee Gravely, my sister, Frances Gravely, and myself. My father was in a family-owned tobacco company call, uh, that was importing and exporting the burly part, the sweet part of tobacco, uh, all over the world. And so we grew up with lots of uh, foreigners in our homes. So as a child, it was listening to stories. And, you know, if I didn't say anything and I served their drinks and brought in a tray of the cigarettes for them to flavor, um, I could sit and listen and I could sit at the table and eat with them. And I was mesmerized all my life. So Mama had had, uh, saved a Bon Appetit or Gourmet. I think it was Gourmet 
an article about the Amalfi Coast in a hotel called Il San Pietro that was a 1975 article. And in 1980, Daddy sold our our three-generation family business, and they were planning to go to Italy. And sadly, he had a heart attack and died at 60. So two years later, Mama called me. I was in New York. My sister was in Chapel Hill having her second baby. And she said, I want to take the trip that your father and I planned. Would you go with me? Well, all her life, if she invited us somewhere, we stopped everything because her mantra was, if you don't travel better than you live at home, then don't travel. So Frances, my sister, who was kind of more adventuresome than I, three years older than I was, wanted to fly Alitalia because it was Italian. And we, um, you know, she just wanted the whole, whole adventure to be Italian. So off we went. And when she needed to use the ladies' room, she walked up to first class because those were the days when you could do that. And when she was waiting this gentleman named Fabio Puccinelli started talking with her and she was telling about our trip and what we were doing. So a bit later, he walked back because we were not in first class to meet the mother and two daughters. He gave us his card. He said, when you are in Florence, please give me a call. And I suspect we told him the weekend we would be there. So we went to first, we thanked him never to call him. But we uh, went to Rome, tried the first restaurant that right now I can't remember the name, but it was in Via del Popolo in Rome, loved it, went down to the Amalfi Coast, had this experience of thinking about starting a company, which I will tell you about, and then went to Florence. And the first day in 1983, Mama had all the traveler's checks and all the cash and all three passports in her pocketbook as we walked around and dreamed about where we were and talked about our father. And Mama wanted to buy us a gift. She always loved to buy something on a trip. Well, we didn't know what it was, went to a restaurant, drank wine, toasted daddy, toasted our great fortune, walked up and had our first fight, which was mama wanted to get a taxi and Francis and I wanted to walk back to the Excelsior on this moonlit evening. Well, mama (laughs) lost. We walked down this dark little road on our way and a a cab driver, I mean, not a cab driver, a motorcyclist, two of them came by, pushed mama, grabbed her pocketbook. And not only was she bruised, but her whole um, self-value was bruised that she had fallen down and we had lost everything. So off to the police station, we went and you can really understand this, Laura, the policeman went from, you know, very formal to unbuttoning their shirts by two buttons and trying to speak English with us. They were adorable. Well, well, how how old were you and what year was this? I mean, I know it was 1983. Yeah, no, this, this was a very different era. And, Very and, different and era. Not that Italian men have changed all that much. <laughs> no, they, they've and, and not. You were young they, Southern women, uh, right? 
the young Southern bells. And, and so these gentlemen definitely um, wanted to, um, shall we say, flirt. Flirt. That's right. Well, they flirted. We got nowhere with the passports or the money. So the next morning, Mama said, remember that nice man who spoke to us on the um, on the plane? We need to, to find somebody to help us. So Francis or I had his card. We called, and he was in Florence, which he was never in Florence because he was a big fisherman. He picked us up helped us get passports, said, I will lend you money, gave us money. And then that afternoon said, mom, mama, where do you want to go? And she said, I want to go see the leaning tower of Pisa. So off we went to Pisa. (laughs) He is quite the white knight. My goodness. All was the white knight. During that time, we told him about these plates, what we wanted to do after dinner. Suddenly, we were at this beautiful villa of Tita Bozio, which is the first chapter in the book. Right. She's the one who has the jewelry store, correct? But what could you explain exactly what your idea was before you started the company? So they they have a little insight as to what you were so excited about and spoke to Fabio about. Yes, exactly. They understood because Tita had a beautiful, beautiful little store, the smallest store in all of Florence, and also had a booth in Trompi, which is the marketplace. She also worked at Macy's Corporation. So here we are knocking on her door, going in, being introduced, and Fabio saying, tell them, tell, tell her, tell her. And she said, Beautiful designs, wonderful product, the hardest people in the in Italy to work with. And after that, Francis and I thought, well, we're Southern, we're persistent, we're going to give a try. And Fabio said after that trip, if you get serious about it, call me and I will uh, pick you up and take you to help negotiate. So, well, so the idea of the business was, can you just explain that? The idea of the business was designing and importing Italian handcrafted products, thinking it would only be dinnerware and garden accessories, but it grew into mouth-blown glass, handmade straw objects, uh, garden big accessories, home accessories, linens. It grew into the whole essence of Italian handcrafts in the better market. Got it. And I I know from the book that your very first client was Neiman Marcus, if I'm not incorrect. That is correct. We went back in September. Fabio met us, helped us negotiate our first um, 25,000 pieces that were coming we went back and I found out about the New York tabletop show. Totally yeah. sold out. I called the gentleman, Mr. Wolf, who headed up the tabletop uh, temporary spaces, begged him and told him I was in New York and could I just show him my wear? I was not in New York. I flew up the next morning I love went and showed him my 12 pieces. And he said, if you can make the column next to the registration desk, look fabulous. I'll give you this six by six foot space for $300 and you're in. 
that's what we did. We called our friends. We borrowed tables. We borrowed, we rented a chest and set it up. And Mama and I stood there and Cynthia Marcus and a wonderful colleague of hers came in and they sat down. That was the, those were the days when you'd sit down and write an order and they wrote a $12,000 order, which was $12 million to us. And we made sure after we received our container in, in March that the very next day we packed up their order and sent it to them. And they've been an account of ours for 40 years. That's it's, it's, it's an incredible story. And I will say as a woman, and I'm a woman who does own my own business. Um, yes. I, I was inspired by the fact that you and your sister and your mother had that. And I, I, I I'm going to use the word gumption. Right. Uh, to, to decide that you were going to do this and, and the fortitude to make it such an incredible success. I'm curious, are there other female entrepreneurs that have inspired you? Um, in, in, I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned Tita, but who else? Like, are there, is there anybody, even somebody you haven't met that you've really admired that have inspired you as, as you know, in this journey and, and inspire you now to look at the next generation? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, I was always, um, encouraged as a young girl and have being in an entrepreneurial family, you know, I was always the campaign manager. I always had the lemonade stands, but through my life, you know, I was mesmerized by Oprah when she came on because she had gumption and she was interesting and she was uh, creating this aura for women. I always read Maya Angelou and I was lucky enough to go to a wedding and she gave the, um, the first toast and had written a poem for this couple and I loved the way that she gracefully commanded respect and that I just knew I didn't have to be anybody but myself, but I I needed to just keep going. There was a woman named Jenny Fitch. She and her husband, R.B., were great mentors of mine. Uh, They started the first Relais Chateau, in ah. Pittsburgh, which is about 18 miles from here. I know where and Pittsburgh. when I was, I had just started and I knew them from bigger parties, but I didn't know them well. And I was invited by them to have dinner at Farrington. And I thought, oh my, this is wonderful. I was 33 years old. It was going to be a big party, I thought. Well, I arrived and it was just me. And we went upstairs into their large office and sat at a beautiful table. And they had, and remember, this is 1983, they had printed out uh, sheets on leadership and on grace and respect and fairness and all the kind of ethical morals and senses of humor that they had. They, they just wanted to talk about starting a business. And uh, Jenny died of cancer. RB is 88 and is still a mentor of mine. Well, uh, also as a Southern woman, and, and you and I were talking before, I, I love the area you live in, uh, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, you know, the research triangle. It's fantastic. And 
Uh, I'm just going to go on an aside right now. As you were talking about your father, I was thinking about a visit I had many years ago to the tobacco museum there, which is yes. really fascinating. Um, but as a Southern woman, I mean, Southern hospitality is legendary for a reason. And um, I know there's a chapter in the book that's about you and your your husband and, and having people at your own table. And I'm somebody who loves throwing dinner parties. But I, I'm curious about your take, you know, in terms of an affinity between Southern hospitality and Italian hospitality and where the differences are and what you've learned from it. Well, Laura, you know, I... Um, I think I always have always been comfortable with um, strangers in our home, you know, foreigners, guests in our home. And I love entertaining with different ages, different points of view um, from just a party that's filled with laughter to a party where there's something going on in the world and we're discussing it. Um, when I went to Italy, uh, I quickly felt their innate joy of living and that they never ask you about what you do. They talk about what's in bloom. What, what, how are the grapes doing? How are the olives doing? You know this, all the flowers that are out and you cook with fresh ingredients. And that's how we grew up. We, um, now, of course, in 83, you didn't have as many fresh ingredients, so you used the best canned things you could find or frozen, but there was always... Great. I mean, canned, pickled, I mean, there's... Fabulous. Starting to, to recognize that just because it's in a can or in a jar doesn't mean that it isn't absolutely marvelous, but... Absolutely. But, You're right. Yes. Yeah. So the, the one thing that was brought to mind to me <clears throat> that was different is that as a Southerner, you meet someone new, you immediately like them, you consider them a friend. It takes about three times of of things going on that you're not kind of in sync with that you think, mm, I maybe I'm not going to spend my time with that person. Right. Italians are the opposite. It takes three, five, seven times of getting to know someone, you know, having participating in either activities or business or laughter that they will then, if you are really lucky, invite you to their home. And when you are invited to their home for a meal, that is their sign of friendship. And that's again, where food being together, being around this metaphor of a table, standing and having a glass of Prosecco or being at a table is so important to build relationships and make people feel accepted and loved and to leave those situations where you just feel better. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, you talk in the book about 
a dear friend, and she also, frankly, does the the uh, the introduction, Frances <laughs> Mays, yes, and being at her table. Now, oh. you, uh, she is the writer. For those who don't know, she's the writer of Under the Tuscan Sun, and uh, you talk about visiting uh, Bramasole, which I'm assuming is um, am I pronouncing that correctly? Correct, perfect in so, Cortona. So yes. What, like, since she's an American in Italy, do you feel like, I mean, I know you spend a lot of time there, but I think she, she lives there, but she also lives in North Carolina too. I'm, I'm, she, that's exactly right. She spends six months in North Carolina, close to us and six months in Cortona with her husband, Ed. So is that, is, is her table, would you say Italian, American or, you know, Southern, or is there something in between? And I want to ask the same about your table. Her table (laughs) is always a mix, as my table is, of different patterns of dinnerware. She always has fresh flowers. Hers is, I would say, a little more romantic than my tables. But her food is almost always Italian. She and her husband adore cooking. She loves to bake he, more than, and she, he loves to cook pastas and sauces. And I don't know if you know it, but she has written three different cookbooks. Oh, I have uh, no one, idea. Yes. Under the Tuscan Sun cookbook. She's just come out with a, a cookbook of pasta sauces, she and Ed went to every district in Italy and created the different flavors of those areas. And now another book's coming out in April on uh, a a pasta veloce, and it's fast pastas again. But my table um, is also eclectic. I believe in being as easy as possible. So I'll think about the dinnerware because, you know, we, we're upset. We both love dinnerware. I'll think about the dinnerware and then I'll set the table around it. You know, fresh flowers, most of the time in our hibiscus vases, low to the table, um, fun salt and pepper shakers if it's related to a season. And then I'll use everything from Beatry linens to my mother's linens to paper soft napkins, which is this wonderful um, kind of spun silk. But it, it, the price of paper napkins that we sell that's paper soft, spun linen, and wow. they come in stripes and checks and dots and wonderful kind of um, borders. And I'll use those because they're fun and they look like their better paper napkins and then I'll mix the glasses so the food for us will be a combination usually we'll have something like um in Voltini di Melanzani uh, that's in the cookbook that Francis made as a matter of fact Ed made it and then we'll use um we'll cook a um pork tenderloin and use chutney, warm chutney, and then, you know, an easy dessert. So I'm the, I do more combinations. Got it. Got it. I mean, I've got to say, when I'm planning dinner parties, I'm planning a few right now. I, I often do like five course dinner parties. It's, yeah, no, 
I mean, I live in a small apartment in Brooklyn. Um, oh, I, love I, I often have, you know, a table of eight, you know, and, and I love cooking. Yes. So, you know, I, I felt reading the book that we were kindred spirits in that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, right. And, and talking to you also about, um, about you know, Rome, and, and, and I was in Venice recently, totally enchanted by Cicchetti. Um, uh, have, you ever, have you ever done a Cicchetti dinner? Because I've been thinking about doing that. I have never done that. I think that would be very cool. Now, I want to tell you about last night, because okay. this is an easy um, thing to fix, and it was divine. All right, let's so, hear it. Okay, so we st- I started with taking French radishes yep. and melting the butter and using the top part of the butter. I can't remember what it's called. It starts with a D, but you, use, you dip it halfway in the top part of the butter, and then you use sea salt. And mm-hmm. it just is that salty, buttery, wonderful radish. And I did that as an appetizer because I wanted to do something different. And we just had Prosecco. This was my sister's 75th birthday, only six people. I then made the involtini di melanzana that I was talking about. That's in the book that Francis Mays makes that I love it because it's got the um, eggplant, but it's also got all the spices and then with tomato, but it's got prosciutto and mozzarella inside very easy you roll it and then the easiest is i made a white fish in something called uh, aqua pazza white fish in crazy water what the is reason i love water? it yeah it's called pesce al aqua pazza and it's from positano it's on page 85 and you you cook the garlic, onion, celery, tomatoes, and pitted black olives, Kalamata olives with olive oil. And you you cook that and get it very soft. Take a huge skillet. And then you add water after it's totally cooked up to the top of this wonderful sugo, you know, um, sauce. And you put, we use North Carolina flounder, but you put the white fish on top, you cover it with the top and let it boil. And it's like uh, fixing, you know, just a, 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 that boiling water, a steamed fish, but it's in one pan. The fish is so moist and it looks beautiful. I use pasta bowls and put it in pasta bowls. Then I made another easiest thing, which is because Francis and Ed were here, I made her shortbread cookies with essence of orange and sage. And that, I'm telling you, Laura, that sage with that orange, your mouth just opens up with spring. I need to make that. I need to make it because I make um, a shortbread with uh, lemon zest, honey, and rosemary. Yes. Yes. Because Frances was, we were talking about the cookies and she said, you know, she puts a lot of different things in them. And we were talking about rosemary and lemon together because she, you know, all Italians and you and I love lemon. But on page 161 of the book, 
is this orange and sage. And it's just a different take on an easy, easy shortbread cookie. Well, you know, to me, I'm, I'm with you. I try to think of the only reason I can do these big dinner parties. And it sounds to me like, like it's similar for you is because you plan them in advance and you come up with yes. recipes that are absolutely delectable, but are not that complicated. And when you've got really good ingredients and I'm, I'm going to emphasize again, that can be canned, that can be in a jar. Yes, and, yes, 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 yes. You know, and, and you can, you can most definitely, you know, create something that's really special. And I, you know, I embrace having people around my table and, oh. and it's so clear to me that you do too. Um, I want to ask you though, about certain, um, about back about Fabio Puccinelli. Yes. I'm surprised that there were no recipes from his family. Does he not cook? Um, I'll tell you why. Um, it, it, he has been sick. Oh. And so it just wasn't the right place or moment Got it. Though they are all very close friends of mine and live in Florence, and uh, he comes from an old, old, old Florentine family. But I decided that Tita represented that same world. And that suited them because it just wasn't the right time for them. Uh, and he honestly, except for grilling fish and he is more of a restaurant guy, though he will cook a fish in a hurry. He's a big fisherman. But that is the reason we, I talk about him and he loves that in his pictures in the book. But I I, I went to Tita. I understand. I get it. I just was curious because, yeah. like I said earlier, he's most definitely the white knight of the story. Yes. And I'm so glad that you regaled him as such. And um, yes. you know, I was just like curious if there was a recipe, but clearly now I don't want to know his favorite restaurants the next time I'm going to Florence or, or anywhere that he's been. But I, I kind of want to know the same from you. I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to go to two markets when I was in Italy recently. I went to the, uh, in Venice, I went to uh, their big market uh, for, for fish and, and, uh, vegetables and was able to cook. And then I went, I wasn't, it didn't have a kitchen available to me when I was in Rome, but I went to the market in Testaccio, which was amazing. And, and I feel like there's, uh, there's something to be said for the kinds of ingredients that you can uh. get in Italy. And I mean, I'm just curious, you know, when you shop for food, um, I, I, you know, I, cause I really don't know in, in the research triangle, though I've been there, are there places you can go to get incredible, you know, fruit and vegetables? Are there farmers markets and such and, and fishmongers that you adore? Absolutely. We have a wonderful fishmonger in, uh, Chapel Hill and it's close to our farmer's market, which is small, but North Carolina is laden with um, organic farms, uh, beautiful, um, you know, um, markets um, for for food. And, and as you know, in Italy, it's the same way. The difference, and I know you know this, is in America, we can touch the food. We can touch the fruits. We can in in Italy, they don't want you to touch the food in markets. They want to talk about it, and they pick the ones. Did you yeah. find that? 
Absolutely. There were signs in English just to make sure that Americans, and I'm assuming the Brits too, you know, it said, please do not touch on just exactly. about everything. They, they, you know, it's a very different way of shopping. Yes. Uh, to, to be able to talk. And of course, my Italian is, is minimal at best, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Do, do you speak fluent Italian at this point? I, I do. And Laura, it is wonderful with an Italian act. I mean, with the Southern accent. Is, are, are you being facetious or are you quite serious? No, I do speak Italian and I'm joking about my accent but <laughs> um, because the accent is also when I speak Italian, but they love it and I do most of their business in Italian. And um, how, how much are you in Italy, you know, in, during the year? And do you, do you have a second home there or, or do you find yourself staying at friends or renting a place or going to hotels? I do all of the above. We do not own a place there. You know, for so many years, I would be there five months a year and it would be like the the movie where in where are you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? I was just flying around um, the country discovering factories and working and and, you know, having my um, renaissance with the artisans, the craft of everything from cooking to how they create their homes to how they create different types of clays and glazes and glass blowing and weaving. And, and so that's what my world has been circled around. We, I, I do stay with certain Italians, when I'm there, they are very close friends. I've been to, you know, everything from baptisms to being a testimonial, which is like a best lady in weddings and funerals. And um, and then Bill and I, the, my husband Bill, uh, for the past six years have rented an apartment in Florence. And I work all of January. And then February and March... Um, I would be working either on the children's books that finished last year or this book. And, and also with technology, it's so easy to um, communicate at work. So, you know, I'm always working from Hillsborough, but being in Florence. So uh, it's, that's kind of what my life has looked like. Well, it, it sounds like a pretty glorious life. <laughs> um, and and um, I really, you know, have to say, looking at your book, I, I felt like, you know, can I be Susan when I grow up? Um, n- not that I'm not grown, but you know what I mean. Well, um, and, and I will say, speaking with you, you, you know, if you want to use that, comparison you have a lot of Susan in you Why, you know thanks. you're you're living your life you're encircling yourself with friends and new friends and hopefully family and you're taking advantage of um finding your way as an independent happy woman and that's really really important for all of us I, you know, I, I couldn't say it better. I, I feel like if you can celebrate your own life and, and have a fully peopled life, and I do believe being around the table is part of that, um, 
you're doing it right. Me too. I agree with you. And I think that more than ever, this is, we can share that with as many people as we can and, and invite them to our table, you know, all types of tables so that we can just make sure that we don't forget about joy and a sense of humor and just relaxing. It, it gets you through so much, so much. Um, so because, much. I mean, there's no way life doesn't throw you curveballs. Absolutely. Right. So, um, so I, I just want to tell listeners again, Italy on a plate, if you want to experience a little bit of Susan's life um, and taste some of the wonderful things she's gotten to taste over the years and uh, have a bit of an introduction to some of the people that have really helped her build her business and contribute to her life. And, and can you tell people they can get the book on Amazon if I'm not incorrect? Yes, that's right. Amazon.com. And it's coming out officially on the 14th of this month, which is next week. And meaning (laughs) right now they will, they will pre-order it and it'll wait. You can also go to SusanGravely.com. All right. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today. And um, I look forward to maybe someday having uh, you at my table um, next time you're in New York. But thank you so much. And I really hope people uh, take the chance to read the book and experience a little bit of, of what you've brought to the world, both in terms of, of hospitality and an attitude towards business, but also taking a look at, at, at uh, Vietri and, and what you can actually literally bring to someone's table. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much.